Would you continue in prayer with me? Lord, speak through us that we may speak in living echoes of your tone. Take our lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. It is good to be with you this morning in the Memorial Church at Harvard. As many of you know, I served here about a decade ago as seminarian and undergraduate chaplain. But what many of you do not know, and I think the reason I was invited today, is because nearly 30 years ago I sang for a semester in the university choir. Back then it was led by the much beloved, kind, and yet firm John Ferris. And as I sat on that side of the screen, I had trouble hearing the sermons. The acoustics were such they didn't carry well, but there was also this peculiar accent coming from the microphone and a sort of cerebralness to the sermons that I had not grown up with. After I went away and came back to Cambridge some 25 years ago, I began to realize that we had one of the, arguably one of the great preachers of the country in this pulpit. And so I started listening in more by radio and actually showing up here and eventually made my way to the Divinity School and to be seminarian. And whenever I step up into this pulpit, which was the pulpit in which I learned to preach, believe it or not, the pulpit in which I heard great preachers like Barbara Brown Taylor and Tom Long and Tony Campolo, aware that before that time there had been preachers such as the Reverends Martin Luther King Jr. and Sr. and Billy Graham, and to enjoy the dulcet eloquence and avuncular nature of Peter Gomes, and to realize also that now it has the kind and inspiring words of Alana Sullivan and the prophetic voice of Jonathan Walton. It is a privilege to be in this pulpit and it is always humbling and an awesome experience. Phillips Brooks, in whose name this pulpit is named, gave us the words we remember every Christmas Eve, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. He's also famous for saying that preaching is truth through personality. And anyone who dares to step into a pulpit who's foolhardy enough to dare that their voice might be truth through their personality requires a lot of prayer. <laughs> so I invite that from you today. We've already heard a great sermon in the words of the music of Hubert Perry and also the prophets and just perhaps I don't know how cash we are at Mem Church these days, but just to give another round of appreciation to our alumni who have brought us the gifts of God here today. In thinking about their presence here today, it made me think about the human voice and to think a moment with you about the divine power and what it might mean in the human voice. We have, each of us, lodged in our throats this amazing thing called the larynx, the voice box. It's about nine pieces of cartilage all fused together with various ligaments and musculature. If you were to take it out of your throat and just look at it, you might think it was something that an overactive 15-year-old created, some sort of device. And yet its elegance and design is beyond compare. 
two very thin little vocal folds that when they work just right with the right amount of pressure from the bellows of your lungs and the pressure of your diaphragm create sound. It's actually a wonder of this life that it works at all. It's a wonder that voices can join together and sing in unison and even in harmony. Isaac Newton is credited with saying that in the want of any other proofs, the human thumb would convince me of the existence of God. The same may be said about our larynx, our voice box, and the very ways that it works in production. It is the first thing we use when we are liberated or delivered, depending on your point of view, from our mother's womb from a warm, nurturing, caring place into the harsh coldness and blinding light of reality. In fact, if we don't cry out, everyone, of course, is worried. But further along, if you've ever spent time with a child and the first time they ever giggle out loud, you know it's unbridled capacity for joy and the fact that it all works is a wonder. I tell you, it is a miracle of life. And then there are those moments when children, little children, form their words and start making those consonants, the ums and the lulls and the ds and the ks, and they all come together with vowels and imbued with meaning to develop language. It is a miracle of life, this treasure in our throats. My question today is how is it that we find our voice? How do we learn to use it? How do we use to learn it properly and good function? And I don't just mean in a physiologically sound way, I mean in a way that allows the power of God to work through it. My guess is that this is something that Moses had to figure out. It was his cry out loud that forced his mother to realize she was in danger, that the Pharaoh's edict would come and seize her boy from her and kill him. And so she made a basket and put him into the river, and as his older sister stood guard, they watched it go down the river and be discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter. I imagine it was his cooing in the basket, his vocal production, that caused Pharaoh's daughter to pay attention and to come down and raise that little boy as her own. We know that Moses when encountered with anger, when he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Israelites, he didn't speak up, but instead killed the man and suffered from shame about that act of violence. He did not use his voice, but used his force. And then this beautiful classic story of when he encounters the burning bush, when he gets his call and he says, my Lord God, I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And God humbles him right on the spot and says, who is it that gives speech to mortals? Who is it that makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go on with yourself. I will be your mouth and teach you what are, you are to speak. I wonder how many of us trust that, how many of us believe that, how many of us think that we have a call and a charge from God to use our voice for godly purposes. As a point of testimonial, I will say that I feel very blessed, particularly the older I get, that I grew up in a church that taught me that I was a beloved child of God and no one could take that away from me. I was gullible enough to believe it as a small child, 
And the older I get, the more I realize it's a core of my self-esteem. But it's also in the church where I was first given permission, in fact, encouragement to stand up and speak in front of people or sing in front of them, starting in the graded choirs in kindergarten. And as a pastor of a local church, a multi-generational church, one of the few places in our culture today where we can have four or five generations in the pew all interacting together, as a pastor of that kind of church, getting our children up in front of us and speaking and leading us in song, I think is some of the most important work I do. At a practical level, it's about training leadership and poise and confidence. But to do it in the sense of some sort of holy mystery, some sort of sacred presence, takes on a weight and a depth that my prayer is these children never forget and take with them. I wish that for our adults as well, and I'll just share with you a few stories of how I see this self working itself out. A few months ago, we were blessing the 13-year-olds in our congregation with a special dinner with their parents, and I learned that one of our students, years before, had used her voice in a way that I think is allowing divine power. It was a simple moment, actually, but a poignant moment. The teacher had brought the assignments to the classroom, and she decided to make an example of one of the children in the classroom and say, your assignment was not as good as it should have been. Here's what's wrong with it. After a few moments of this, the little girl from our church stood up and said, Mrs. Teacher, do you think there's a better way you could do this? Because I don't think it's making him feel very good to hear this in front of the rest of us. But I'm sure we could be helpful. This child is a teacher to me full of joy, and it's not lost on me that she's raised by a strong family that cares about her and loves her beyond compare. But more beyond that, that she is in a part of a community that has bathed her in love that has given her a strong voice, a voice that speaks up in front of others and sings and decla declares the scripture in our presence. Another story I'll share with you about a congregation just a few miles down the road in Somerville in Davis Square, where get this, each week someone gets up and confesses their own personal sins in front of everyone, anywhere from addiction to not managing their money well to having trouble giving up smoking, to just not being present to their spouse. This is a tradition that has gone on for years at the First Church of Somerville. They lead people as an example. Members of the pews lead people by telling how things have not been going right in their lives, and then they turn it over to assurance, the important moment to know that God loves us nonetheless. The former pastor of that church, Molly Basquette, has written a beautiful book about this practice called Standing Naked Before God, in which it's full of many of these testimonials that have gone forth in the first church there. But the one that caught my eye is one that her son gave, who got up as a 13-year-old and told the congregation that God had her moments in his life, but there had always been a barrier between him and his faith. And as an example, he told about he and a bunch of other boys in the school had been bullying a boy from India who was in their class, making fun of his accent, the way he pronounced words, making fun of his gullibility. If they told him that duct tape was made of ducks, he believed it, or the odd little habits he had. 
As Rafe told this to the congregation, he said to them, you know, I just wanted to fit in with the crowd, to fly under the radar and be regular. But being regular meant betraying God and God's teaching to protect the innocent. And I desperately tried and failed time and time again to pray to God to give me the courage to look out for the underdog, but I couldn't bring myself to do it because I didn't want to lose the luxury of fitting in. But one night, Rafe had a dream about the boy, and he remembered this deep voice saying, this is wrong to dirty such an innocent mind and reinforce the sinful aspects of your own mind, so stop it. It wasn't an angry voice, but a firm voice. So Rafe went back to school the next day, and he told his fourth grade antagonizers that it needed to stop, it wasn't cool to laugh at the boy, and he himself stopped. As Rafe puts it, the barrier between me and God was very thick, but God listened to me a tiny bit at a time, chiseled away some of the barrier until there was a crack and the crack grew, and once that crack was big enough, God slipped in and enveloped me in her light and love. You see, there's the voices without and there's the voice within. There's the voice of God trying to break through to us to get us to speak up for the things that God wants. And to me, if the children in our churches can learn this and practice it, you might say it's just the courage of naivete, but I tell you, for a 13-year-old boy, those stakes are pretty high. And learning to practice speaking up for the vulnerable among us is something that God wants you and me to use our voices for. One other story that I'm reminded of is one that the great preacher and teacher Tom Long likes to tell about a woman named Grace Thomas, who had been a homemaker and a mother, had raised a family, but then as she got later in life, she decided to go to law school and learn about the law. And then she surprised everybody in 1954 by running for governor of Georgia. There were nine candidates that year. And it was also the year of Brown versus Board of Education, the decision the Supreme Court had made to integrate the schools that separate but equal was no longer constitutional. Grace was the only one of the nine candidates in the governor's election that year in Georgia who thought that the decision of the Supreme Court was right. And she spoke up about it. Her slogan was, say grace at the polls. She came in dead last in that campaign, and her family was relieved that she had stepped away and hoped she would never run for politic office again. But eight years later, in 1962, she couldn't stop herself, and she ran again. She was campaigning in a small town in Georgia, Louisville, or Louisville, standing right in the place where slaves were bought and sold decades earlier in that little town. Standing in the place of the slave auction, she got up there and said that segregation was wrong and civil rights were where we had to be, that we had to respect the equality of every person. Some of the farmers and shopkeepers weren't pleased with what she said. Again, she was a loner in the campaign that year. And one of them said, where did you get all those ideas? She looked up and saw the steeple and the Holy Spirit interceded for her, and she said, right over there in Sunday school. That's where I learned these things. You see, I believe that you and I are like the disciples, charged to go out and speak the truth, to speak the love of the gospel. 
We may not have been as courageous as they were to leave our families behind or to give up our money and possessions or to walk into strange towns and strange households to share this unmitigated love and grace. But we are called to use our voices to speak up for the things that God values. In a culture that is repeatedly and blatantly and defiantly going against biblical demands for justice, for caring for the poor and vulnerable among us, for welcoming the immigrant, the refugee, and the stranger, you and I have a call to speak up wherever we can, in our classrooms, in our offices, in our families. The Buddhists have a word for this. They call it right speech, which clearly means abstaining from lying, from divisive speech, from abusive speech, from idle chatter. Spoken at the right time, with truth and affection, spoken beneficially. I would say you and I have the call to speak up for love above all, to speak up for words that are a blessing, that bring us together, to use this magnificent voice that we are given to care for the, uh, the most vulnerable among us, the people who are forgotten at the margins. And when you and I do this, I believe God smiles because this treasure that is our human voice is used for beauty and for good, for the things that God values. And as Moses heard and as the disciples heard, we are never alone in this, but God the Creator, the Holy Spirit, speaks through us and with us. May it be so. Amen.